I'll invite you this morning to give all of these moments that remain to Him. And your heart and your mind to His Word. And I invite you to turn to the third chapter of the book of Philippians. And beginning with verse 7, I'll read through verse 11. Yes, I know I preached from chapter 3 last week. It's kind of where I am in my own uh, Bible study and Christian pilgrimage. Uh, I love the book of Philippians. And chapter 3 is such a great chapter. I want to read verses 7 through 11 and preach under the title of How to, to Know the Lord. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss. That word is in the, in the uh, Greek language is worst than the worst. Worse than the worst. I have counted as, as worse than the worst for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, refuge, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. It is one thing to know about. It is another thing to know. If you were to ask me this morning, do you know um, Russell Dilday, the president of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary? I'd probably answer yes. I met him. I've uh, read his books might turn me down just a, just a tad before they turn me off. I've read his books and I have heard him speak, but I don't really know him. I only know about him. You see, you cannot really know somebody unless there is some interaction between you and that person. Even if it's by telephone or by letter, there has to be interaction for you to really know somebody. So really, I know him. I just know about him. Let me ask you, do you really know the Lord? I'm not talking about knowing about. Is there any interaction? Do you, do you really know the Lord? That is the magnificent obsession of the Apostle Paul. That's what he desires the most. It's what he loves. It's what he fears Losing, to, to know the Lord, he desires to know Him. That's his magnificent obsession. To know His people is wonderful. The greatest pre people on the earth, my dearest friends, are God's people. This is more. To know His comfort is marvelous. Some of you have gone through the valley of the shadow of death in the past few months even, and you've been comforted by Him. 
And there's nothing quite so wonderful as His comfort. This is more wonderful. To know His blessing and His reward is great. What would life be like if God removed His blessing from us? This is more to know the Lord. How do you know the Lord? Well, first of all, you know Him. You, you, to know Him, you must seek His face and not His hands. I, I alluded to that last Sunday, I, and I want to be redundant, but I want to nail this home in this point this morning. We must seek His face first and not His hands. Listen to us pray. What we pray about is for God to, to, to go to work for us, to do something for us. Lord, bless us. Lord, help us. Lord, deliver us. Lord, do something for us. And we pray for His hands. Seek His face and not His hands. I tell you, if you have His, hand, if his, if you have his face, you will have both hands. The psalmist said, delight yourself in the Lord and He will bring it to pass. What he was saying is, you find his face, you delight in the Lord, and he'll go to work for you. I'll do anything I can for somebody who loves me. I tell you, we need his face. It's the blesser we need and not the blessing. It's the giver we need and not the, not the gift. It's the victor we need and not the victory. For if we have him, we'll have all of his blessings and all of his gifts and all of his victories. What does it mean to seek his face? Well, it means to seek his pleasure, his, his smile. It means to seek his approval, the things that bless him, the things that please him. What do you do when you want to know how somebody responds to you? You look at their face. You look at their eyes, and that's how they respond to you. That's where you look. You ever watch a little child? I watch them on Sunday morning here. And when they, when they want to know what's going on with their parents, they'll look in their face. That's why I like to go to little dribblers basketball games or even coach them, really. They, they, these kids, they know exactly where their parents are seated up in the stands, and and they can feel like they're just doing a terrible job and they'll check out, you know, they'll check the stands to see if they can see in the face of their parents approval and pleasure. And you let one of them make a goal, make a goal and he goes down the court, you know, running backwards, looking up in the stands to get his parents' smile. And sometimes there is disapproval in the face. My mother had a way of communicating with her eyes. Her right eye squinched just a little bit when she got angry. One Sunday morning I was going through my how to run off all the junior teachers in the junior department routine. Some of you are pros at that. I was going through my routine of how to make the junior teachers hair gray, showing off, and my mother had slipped in on the back of the room, was kind of sitting over in the corner, observing. And I caught her out of the corner of my eye. I turned around and I looked in her face. Her eye was squinched. I knew I'd had it. It wasn't the severity of the punishment. It was the surety of it. I knew that I was doomed. Sometime between then and lunch, I was going to pay a big price. What do you do when you want to know how somebody responds to you? You look at their face. It means that we 
we're looking for His pleasure, for what, what, that which pleases Him. We're not so much desiring His hands as we are His pleasure, His approval. So I want to do the things, watch this, I want to do the things that please the one whose pleasure and approval I most greatly desire. There's a principle and there's a law of the Christian life that you're going, to, you're going to do the things that please the one that is most important to you. So if you're not doing the things that please him, then he is not most important to you. I want to ask you a question. Whose pleasure and whose approval and whose smile do you crave more than anybody else in the world? If you want to know the Lord, you must seek His face. You must seek to do. You do those things. You desire those things. You want those things that please Him. Secondly, you seek Him with a yielded spirit. The Apostles Paul said, Oh, that I might know Him and the fellowship of His sufferings. When he said that, when I read that, I knew that, that he really meant business about knowing the Lord. He, he said, I, I, J.B. Phillips' translation has it, I long to die as he died. I want my nature to be conformed to his death. I knew he meant business when he said, I long to die as Jesus died. And what he's saying is this, that there is a way that you will never know the Lord unless you enter into the fellowship of His sufferings. There is a way that you will never know the Lord unless you enter into the fellowship of His sufferings. As a matter of fact, the mother of James and John came to Jesus one day and, they, and she said to Jesus, I, I want you to let my son sit at your right hand, one on your right and one on your left. And Jesus said, that's great. I'd love to have your sons seated at my right hand and at my left. But can your sons drink of the cup that I drink? Can your sons suffer with me? And the Tidwell paraphrase of that is this, that if you want to sit with the Lord, you're going to have to learn how to sip with the Lord. That is, there is a way of knowing the Lord that comes when we enter into the fellowship of His sufferings. And that's what Paul means in a previous verse when he says, And now it is given to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but to suffer for His sake. I've seen a lot of those little plaques that say, saved to serve. I've never seen one that says, saved to suffer. Now the question you might ask is this, Does that, are you trying to tell me that we got to go and get, get ourselves crucified to really know the Lord, really understand how He feels about? No, there is a profound sense in which nobody could ever suffer like that. He had to tread that wine press alone. For it was the sinner, it was the sinless suffering for the sinner. It was, the, it was one becoming sin for us who knew no sin. And we'll never suffer like that. But what caused his suffering? What caused his pain? It was sin that caused all the pain. It was sin that caused all the shame. So what he's saying is this, that 
that if I get so close to Jesus and I become so perfectly conformed to the image, of his, to, the, to the ethic that he established, then I'm going to feel towards sin like he feels toward it and I'm going to know him in a different way. My sin and the sin of others. Hear, hear, me, hear me now. Believe this with all my heart. If you have a flippant, indifferent, complacent attitude towards sin in your life, you're not fellowshipping with the Lord. When Martin Luther was performing his first Mass, he became so conscious of his own sin that he dropped the element, he dropped the, the wine, and he cried, Oh, my sin, my sin. Not only my sin, but the sin of others. How does it... How does it affect you when you look upon the sin of your world? The biographer of Dwight L. Moody said he was the only person he knew that was qualified to talk about lost people because he said Dwight L. Moody could never talk about lost people without tears in his eyes. How long has it been since you've shed a tear for the sin of your world? and faint and sick and he was crying oh God the sin of this city is breaking my heart and I become so identified with Jesus Christ that I feel the same way he feels towards sin and human failure and so he looked out over the city of Jerusalem and he cried oh Jerusalem Jerusalem I would have taken you like a hen takes her chicks, but you would not. And the scripture says, the Greek said, that he sighed with sympathy and he shook with emotion and his whole insides turned over. He was so moved by it. Human failure. When Maculay saw the sin of Sierra, the slaves of Sierra Leone, he couldn't sleep or eat for a week. William Booth was so wrenched when he looked at the drunks in the gutters of London that he couldn't eat for a week. And we pass them by and we go our way with this kind of a flippant indifference towards sin. And what Paul is saying is this, if you really want to know the Lord, you're going to have to enter into the fellowship of how he suffers. Third, if you, must, if you seek the Lord, you must seek Him with a clean heart. A clean heart. Pure in the sense of sin. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, if you're seeking to know the Lord, if you really want to know the Lord, you're wasting your time if you have known sin in your life. Because there is a principle of the law of God, and that's this, that your sin cuts you off from God. If I regard, that is, if I give sin an uncontested place, the Lord will not hear me. If you're seeking to know the Lord, and you really want to know Him, not just about Him, and you have sin, known sin in your life, you can forget it. For your sin cuts you off from God. Not only pure in the sense of clean, but pure in the sense of an undivided, a single heart, a single-minded heart. It's what the word pure means in the, in the literal. It means an undivided heart. 
I seek one thing, the Apostle Paul said. This one thing I do. I want the Lord. I want God. I want one thing, and it's the right thing. I want God. I don't want a thousand in Sunday school. I want God. I don't want success in my business. I want God. I don't want status with my peers. I want God. I want one thing, and I want the right thing. You ever met a single-minded man? There are not very many single-minded people. A single-minded person eats and laughs and sleeps and thinks and dreams about the thing he's single-minded about. It's his obsession. Our problem is that we want God, but we don't want Him with all of our heart. Now, there are two things that are necessary for a pure heart. Listen carefully. The first is confession. It's when God brings up this sin in my life, I confess that sin. It means to say with God, that's right, you said it, it's the truth. I agree, Lord, forgive me, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. I shared with them in the early service this morning, something very personal happened to me this week. In my quiet time, I was reading a passage of Scripture. It talks about setting, letting God set a, a guard at your mouth and before your tongue. And I knew I needed that, along with some others of us. And I asked God to set a guard at my mouth and put a, put a watch at my tongue. I asked Him to do that in prayer, and I claimed by faith that He would. That afternoon, I uh, lost patience. I said impatiently something to somebody here in the, in, in the church. And I felt terrible about it. I was feeling guilty. I always do when I do that. And I was, so the next morning in my quiet time, I was confessing it to God. I said, Lord, I, 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 I know that I spoke impatiently. And God said, yeah, I set the watch there and you dismissed him. Sent him back to the barracks, so to speak. And I was cut at the heart. I was cut at the quick with that. And I said, God, you're right. I'm sorry for that. I confess it's the truth. So God brings up this sin in our life and we confess it. You're right. I agree with you. It's wrong. Forgive me. The second is cleansing. Now cleansing is getting rid of the cause of the sin. Confession is getting rid of the sin. Cleansing is getting rid of the cause of the sin, the source of the sin. And that's a little more difficult. Um, you, ever, you ever found ring around the bathtub? Now, you don't have to shake your head up now because you don't need to let folks know how clean you are. But you probably, you know, you, you've gone and there's, 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 when my kids were small, it'd be ring, Todd, you know, it'd be ring around the bathtub. Now, you, what you can do on Saturday morning, you can get your scrub brush and your Tylex and all that. And you can go in there with your scrub brush and you can scrub off the, you know, the ring around the bathtub or you can get rid of the source of it. Doesn't mean you get rid of your kids or tell them they don't have to take a bath anymore. You, you get them in there and you say, now, now look at this. You know, that's the way you start. Look at this. You know, get them on a guilt trip. You know, look at this ring around the bath breaking my back trying to scrub that out and clean it out. Now, from now on when you take a bath, just squish the water around a little bit. And that, before that, you know, ring, has that dirt, you know, that's on the top of the bath water, it gets congealed and hardened. You can get it, you know, and you don't, won't have to scrub it off. That's getting rid of the source of it. Now, it's one thing to get rid of sin. It's another thing to get rid of its source. 
That's what Paul was talking about when he talked about strongholds. He said we have all these strongholds that are built up in us and they're the result of the lies of the devil. And the spiritual warfare, the spiritual weapons of the Holy Spirit is to tear down these strongholds. And so when the Lord brings the sin up, you get to the source of it. And you turn the Holy Spirit loose to be free to do the work in your life, to tear down the strongholds. And that's a long and that's a painful process, believe me. But we're never going to really get rid of the sin that's in our life or any definitive period of time until we get rid of the source, the strongholds that are built up there. It's what the author of the book of Hebrews talks about when he talks about these roots of bitterness that we've allowed to come into our life. And when you trace those all the way back by the help and the illumination of the Holy Spirit, it will shock and surprise you. And it means that I'm going to remove from my life some things that are not necessarily bad. They just keep me from loving the Lord with my whole heart. Let me read you a verse of Scripture. It's 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 3. You don't need to turn this. Listen to it. It says, Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your heart, Remove the foreign gods. Remove the idols and the Ashtaroth from among you. And direct your hearts to the Lord and serve Him alone and He will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. God knows we need to be delivered from the Philistines. If you want to serve the Lord with your whole heart, if you want to know the Lord and your heart is to Him, He said, you must remove the idols, the foreign gods. Peter Lord says, you know what an idol is? An idol is a doll you have your eye on. An idol is an eye doll. It's a doll we have our eye on. It's, it's where our focus is. It's where our energy is directed. It's what we think about. It's what we dream about. It's what's in our mind when we wake up at night and we don't have anything there to think about. It's the focus of our life. And as David has sung this morning, I give you all my life. I even give you these idols, these things in my life that are really not bad, but they just keep me from knowing you and they just keep me from loving you with all my heart. You know what I'm talking about. Let me give you an illustration. The comparison or the contrast to the amount of time you spend reading the newspaper with the amount of time you spend reading the Bible. What's, what's the difference there? You say, well, is it wrong to read the newspaper? Of course not. You believe everything you read in the newspaper? Somebody was telling me the other day, so I saw it, but I don't believe it. Why would you spend more time reading something you don't believe than you do reading something you know is infallible? Uh, let me give you another contrast, since we're kind of hoeing where up next to the corn. The contrast to the amount of time you spend in prayer and the amount of time you spend watching television. And we say that we love the Lord with our whole heart. Is there some things that you, got, you, you must remove from your life in order to love Him with your whole heart? 
You see, the removing is up to us. The cleansing is up to us. Now we pray, God, take away these things from our life. It's not God's responsibility to take away these things from our life. It's ours. Where does it start? It starts in verse 7. He says, I counted as loss those things for the sake of Christ. I counted them as loss. Verse 8 he says, I count all things as loss. One is in the past tense, one is in the present linear action. You know what he's saying? He's saying, what, the attitude I had when I became a Christian, the, the, the day I was saved, that attitude I had is the same attitude today. You know what it was like when you got saved? Just remember that day. When I, when I got saved, I, was been, I had been under such conviction for my, for my lostness. I, I couldn't wait till the invitation. It didn't matter to me that there were peers there that might make fun of me or, or people wouldn't understand me. I, I wanted the Lord. I wanted His salvation. And so I, but as soon as that invitation was given, I came to the Lord. I had that kind of attitude about it. You know what Paul is saying? The attitude I had when I came to know the Lord in the initial act of salvation is the same attitude I have now toward everything in my life. Nothing's going to keep me from God. It's a pretty heavy question. But I know every one of us knows this morning, as soon as I say the word, it comes into your mind. Those things in your life, they're going to have to come out before you'll ever know the Lord. One last thought, please. Seek Him in an attitude of praise. To know the Lord, you must seek Him in an attitude of praise. You know, don't, don't, you, don't you hate to be around folks that talk about you negatively? I just love, you know, I just love that, don't you, you know? If somebody talks about me in a negative way, you know what I want to do? I want to run the other way. I want to, I, I cross the street to keep from somebody, you know, encountering somebody that's going to say anything negatively to me or about me. I, I think I'm a lot like you. Are your kids? You, you enjoy being around folks that criticize your children? But on the other hand, isn't it great to be around somebody that brags on you? I mean, somebody was saying to me the other day, so I don't want to embarrass you, and they started bragging on me. I said, hey, that doesn't embarrass me. I mean, you just keep talking, and you tell everybody you see that. And if I'm there, that'll even be even greater. And to brag about your kids, man, I want to be where folks are bragging on my kids. I love it. And so if you want me around you, you just start bragging on me. I'm going to hang around you all I can. If you want me in your presence, you start bragging on my kids. I'm going to be there to get, you know, get in on it. You know what causes God to draw near to you? You start bragging on Him. That's what praise is. And all the time that you're complaining and you're griping, you know what you're doing? You're just saying to God, hey God... You, you, you're not doing a good job. This weather's terrible. You wrote my parade. You know, you, you're going to gripe and complain. You know what God's going to do? He's going to say, hey, I won't be around that person. You want God? You, you want the Lord? You start bragging on Him. And you brag on His kid. You brag on His son. 
You just spend a little time saying, Lord, you have such a wonderful son. He's such a marvelous savior. Sinless life, marvelous teaching, glorious death, triumphant resurrection. Lord, I just want to praise you for your son. You know what he does? He just draws into your presence. He inhabits your praise. You want the face of the Lord? You approach him this morning in an attitude of praise. I guarantee you, he wants to be there. A.W. Tozer has a little book called The Pursuit of God. This is one of his prayers. Every person here this morning could have written this prayer. It just happened to be by A.W. Tozer. Oh God, I have tasted thy goodness and it has both satisfied and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need of further grace. I am ashamed of my lack of desire. Oh God, triune God, I want to want Thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me Thy glory, I pray Thee, so that I may know Thee indeed. Begin in mercy a new work of love within me. Say to my soul, rise up my love, my fair one, and come away. Then give me grace to rise and follow thee from this thirsty lowland where I have wandered so long. I want to want him. I long to long for him. I thirst to thirst for him. Oh God, lead me out of this thirsty lowland where I spend most of my life. You've prayed that prayer, and so have I. Would you seek his face this morning? Would you put away the idols in your life? Would you come to him today in a yielded spirit to say, Lord, I want you, I want you. Let's pray together. Father, for this moment of invitation where we're confronted with decision concerning what you have spoken to our heart about, grant us grace and grant us courage but most of all grant us an insatiable desire to know you to do what is necessary to put away the foreign gods to come to you Lord this is our prayer in Jesus name would you look here, please? My first, the first invitation that I extend this morning is an invitation for you to come and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I was sharing the gospel. David and I were sharing the gospel this week with a young, young man. And he said, I, I, I want to be in church when I do this. My answer to him was, most of the time, most people are saved 
today in this day and time is the result of a one-on-one encounter. And that's true. But there's some of you who came into this auditorium this morning and you're lost. And you've never given your heart and life to Jesus Christ. And you've never been saved from your sin. Today's the day for you to do that. I invite you to come and receive Him. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, He's alive, then you'll be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. An invitation this morning for you to come and place your life in the church. Now God has chosen to use the church as the way, His instrument, to get His gospel to the world. The local church is where we have our witness. So if you're in this community and you feel led to place your life here, these are folks you can live with and love with and serve with. Come today and do that. Or maybe you need to come this morning to say, Pastor, I need to publicly begin to remove the idol from my life. Not necessarily bad things. Things that just keep me from God. From knowing Him. I encourage you to do it while we stand to sing.